I love that song. Uh, if you want to know who requested it, it was me. So, but I love it. I love it for the I love it for the music because I think it has a wonderful tune. I love it for the words because it so aptly describes what my heart feels toward worship to God, and sometimes I can't always express it myself. So, I use songs like this to be able to help me to do that, and I hope it did that with you as well here this morning when we have sung it. Uh, that song, Behold Our God and In Christ Alone and Power of the Cross are all favorites of mine. I hope that you enjoy them and they spur you on to worship our God. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Think about that. That's what we're talking about today, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That is our goal, that is our heart's desire, I pray as Christians, is that our heart would desire to know Christ in all of his fullness and the power of his resurrection. So we're gonna be talking about today as we go to Philippians chapter three, in case you haven't turned there yet, Philippians chapter three, you have a handout, but it's blank and it's there to write anything that you feel appropriate to write in there, notes, to help you remember this lesson or maybe even share it with someone else. Ideally, that's the hope of preaching a sermon is that it will be something that will stick in your mind and have an effect in your life, but then also be something that you can share to someone else. So that's why I give him, uh, a little sheet to write some notes on from time to time because once we go through a book like Philippians, then you have a little notebook if you've kept all of those. And if you so want to lead someone in a study through the book of Philippians, you have some information that will help you to do that. So it's not just uh, information to toss away, but hopefully something that you will be able to keep and uh, keep for years and share with your kids and grandkids, things like that. When you think of what is most valuable in your life, what do you usually think of? Family, right? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've been Christians for a while. We know that family is important. You know, if, if I were to ask people who are not Christian or in another context, say at, a, say at a football game or something like, the answers might be different. It might be my cell phone or it might be my car. I just can't do without my car. Or it might be some other thing. It might be my home or, or things like that. And those are all appropriate in their own way. They definitely are things that are very, very valuable to us and things that we need from time to time. We need a home from time to time, right? It'd be nice to have a home to go to. So those things are very important. But on a spiritual side, I think we could all say and agree, I hope with Paul today, that our most valuable thing, our most thing of most value is just knowing Christ and knowing him, having a relationship with him. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We've been going through this book of Philippians for several months now, a couple months now, and I think it's been excellent. I love the way Paul early on talks about grace and peace, and he wishes that, and he prays that for the people who are at Philippi. He wants them to not only experience God, God's grace, but be in the very center of God's grace at all times. And by that, I mean we have learned grace as meaning God's undeserved merit or favor toward us, and that is what it is. But in the context in which Paul starts out his book, he always says grace to you or, 
or grace and peace to you. In that context, what I believe he's trying to say is that we are strongest when we are in the center of God's grace. And we are strongest when we ourselves are weak and humble. And we have set aside our pride and realize that we can't do everything, that we need God's grace. And that's really when God's grace can be effective in our life, is when we are humble and we relinquish control of our life and we realize that, hey, I can't do this in my strength. How many of you want to try to live the Christian life in your own strength? No, we don't want to do that, right? We try that. We try it consistently and it's impossible for us to do. And so we need God's grace. And when he says grace to you and peace, he is essentially saying, if you understand that you have been saved by grace and that you do not deserve it, then you will be weak and you will be weak in the sense of being humble. Then I can do powerful things through you, right? So Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. That's exactly what he was thinking about. And so Paul wants the Philippians to have that kind of, of peace. He wants them to know that Christian fellowship is essential for this partnership in the gospel. In other words, there's no one person in a church or in a fellowship who does it all, right? It has to be the group of people. We all been gifted with different gifts in order to fit together and do the things that God has asked us to do in partnering with the gospel. He, he goes on in earlier sermons, we talk about how the priority for Paul is the advance of the gospel, much like an army would be advancing in enemy territory, taking over that territory, moving ahead, ever moving ahead and advancing the gospel. He says this, by the way, while he's in prison, he's writing this letter from prison. And because he has had such uh, a strong faith and a strong witness while he's in prison, other men have been emboldened by Paul's example and others are sharing the gospel as well as Paul. We are to have a, a mindset of humility and we'll probably talk about this time and time again because it is so easy for us to kind of fall back into the idea of doing things in our own strength. And we don't mentally say, I'm gonna do this in my own strength. We just kind of leave God out of it sometimes. And so we must be mindful that we are to always have a mindset similar to that of Christ or like that of Christ when he humbled himself and came to this earth to be a sacrifice for our sins. And then we've learned also that we are to work out our own salvation. We don't work for our salvation, right? That would be blasphemous, that would be wrong. But this salvation that he has given us, we are to be working that out so that it becomes visible to all who are around us. And then last week we learned that we are to honor such men as Timothy and Epaphroditus, who it appears they have given up everything in order to help Paul in his ministry. And then ultimately, beginning with today's verse and some, many verses throughout the book of Philippians, we are to rejoice in our salvation, amen? amen? Amen, it's supposed to be a thing of rejoicing and it's not supposed to always be somber. I, I do believe that church is to be kind of a sober atmosphere most of the time especially during the time of preaching of God's word and worship through song. It should kind of be a solemn time. But then there's also times for great joy and, 
And we can be joyful even though we're reverent and solemn during our, the time of preaching, right? So joy is not necessarily laughing all the time, but it is a sense that undergirds our whole life and, uh, and, and is a great incentive for why we do the things that we are doing. So that kind of brings us up to Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. I'd like to read that for you. If you would, go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. And of course, this is Paul once again speaking to the Philippian church. And he's only in verse 3. There's actually four chapters, but he's starting to close things up because he says, Finally, my brothers... Rejoice in the Lord. Amen, rejoice. We're rejoicing today, aren't we? Yes. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain, attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to read these wonderful words from scripture and this beautiful description of what it is like to put Christ ahead of all things. And for many of us, that really is a scary thing to think about entrusting you with everything that we have. But that's what the Bible says we should do. And so we pray that you would help us to understand this section of scripture. Pray that you would give us wisdom as to how to apply it to our life and what it means in my particular life. And we pray that you would help us to be obedient to it as well. Father, we have been given such a wonderful gift, the gift of a personal relationship with Christ. Help us to treasure that. Help us to build upon that and to deepen that relationship much as we would between a husband and a wife a relationship that grows ever deeper and stronger. And Father, we thank you that we can have that. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.
Well, our message today is knowing Christ and having his righteousness and the fact that it surpasses by far all the things that the world has to offer. Amen. What he has to offer passes anything that the world has to offer to us today. I'm reminded of a parable in which Jesus uh, spoke about a pearl of great price that was found in the field. And the person who found that goes and sells everything that he has in order to have and to purchase that pearl. And that's very similar to the scripture that we have seen here today about knowing Christ and the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. It's just not worthy to know Christ, but it is of surpassing worth of anything else that the world has to offer to us. So what does it really mean to know Christ? What does it really know to mean him? Well, first of all, I think it's the ability to experience a relationship with Christ, much as we have a relationship with, with each other. And in this congregation, you know, today I can look out over here and say, I'm really close to that person and I'm not as close to that person. And with Christ, we can have an extremely personal relationship. But like all relationships, it takes a little bit of work, right? If you want a closer relationship, then you have to work with that. And that's really what Christ and through his God, through the Father God offers us is a friendship with Christ. It's a very close relationship. And it's a personal relationship that we have with Christ. To me, friendship means that someone's there when I need to talk. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes it's hard for me to express my feelings when, you know, when I'm with a friend. I, I told my pastor one time several years ago when I was at First Baptist Church in Mount Carmel, uh, I was associate pastor and he was a pastor. He traveled back and forth much like I do, except he traveled from Newburgh to Mount Carmel. I traveled from Allendale to Noble, but often the only times we would have to meet is to meet halfway in between. And so I don't know if you know where Denny's is on 41, but we used to meet there sometimes. And he was this guy, his, his uh, secular job was a vice president of Berry Plastics in Evansville. And so he's kind of this high, uh, how do you say it, highly driven person, highly get things done. And I'm kind of like this person like, it takes me 20 minutes to kind of warm up. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're sitting down for a meal, and he's going on and on about this and that and getting out the calendar, and we're going to do this. And I, I said, Scott, can we just slow down a little bit? It takes, takes me about 20 minutes, you know, to get to where I'm comfortable talking to someone and sharing my feelings. I can't do that just right out of the box. So I, I appreciate the fact that I can have a relationship with Christ and he's there to listen to me whenever I am ready. Amen. And I, I appreciate that. And when I need someone to talk to me and straighten me out, <laughs> he can talk to me that way too, right? Yes. So I love that. And it's something that we should treasure. And it's something that makes it of sur surpassing worth. Also, the fact that this is the God of the universe, by the way, that we're speaking about, that we can have a personal relationship with. And uh, my personality is not the type where 
say we went to see, you know, uh, Casting Crowns, and they said, come up and meet the band, I would not be the person that would want to go up and meet the band just because, you know, I'm more at home around the folks instead of the, you know, the main attraction. But with God, there's no reason for that hesitancy. And it's the great thing is that we have access through Christ to God the Father anytime that we want. And we can say anything to him. We can be extremely honest with him. And he will listen to every word. And he will answer every prayer. Amen. And sometimes he may say no to my prayer. Sometimes he may say, dig a little bit deeper. You've almost figured out what my will is. And when you finally agree with my will, then I will answer your prayer according to my will. That's the way he works as well. But how is this relationship established? Is it through our works? No, it's by God's grace. And so knowing Christ is not obtained by having confidence in the flesh, right? That's what our scripture here says today. It says that we put no confidence in the flesh because that is not how salvation is obtained. That's not how this relationship works. It's one that works by grace. In other words, I'm in this relationship because God has favored me in some way with this relationship. And it's not because I deserve it, but it's because Christ has earned that right for me by his sacrifice on the cross. And so it's not obtained by what I can do to deserve it. It's not by my works or my, my deeds. It's by the Spirit, right? That's what the scripture says to us here today. Uh, verse number three, look at that. It says, for we are the circumcision, we'll talk about that a little bit later, who worship by the Spirit and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. So how do we enjoy the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ? First of all, we must realize that it's not by our works, but it's by his grace. It's by the Spirit. Titus 3.5 says that he saved us. Not, by, not because of deeds done by us in righteousness, righteousness, but in virtue of his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. That's how we are saved. It's totally a work of God. Our salvation is truly a total work of God. Amen. And then he goes right on and Paul uses some of the harshest language that you'll ever see Paul use. He says, but beware. He says this in verse two, beware, beware of those who trust in the flesh. And he calls them dogs. <laughs> That's pretty strong language, right? If you know anything about Jewish culture, dogs were not your pets, right? They were looked down upon. And we love our dogs now, but at that time, this was a, a, a pejorative, a, a word that describes something that is not good. And he compares them with evildoers. And he calls them those who mutilate the flesh. Well, what in the world is he talking about? Who are these people that he is talking about? Well, if you go way back <laughs> to when I first came here, the first book I preached through was the book of Galatians. And what was the object of contention there? It was circumcision. 
And so there were people called Judaizers who would follow the ministry of Paul and Paul would preach this gospel by the grace of God. You're saved by the grace of God. It's not by works, it's by faith alone in Christ. And these Judaizers who were Jews would come back around in these churches and say, well, whatever Paul told you, told you is correct, but also you must become a Jew first and you must be circumcised. And then you can be a Christian and follow Christ. And Paul says, no. He says, circumcision is, is neither good nor bad, but it's bad if you make it a requirement for your salvation. Does that make sense? That's a work that you're adding on to faith with Christ, in Christ. And you cannot do that. And you can substitute really anything in there. Obviously, Paul, God would not put a book in there for every situation. But just think of any good work and put it in the place of circumcision and the same thing would be true. And so he calls them mutilators of the flesh. And in the book of Galatians, uh, he uses even stronger language. He says, if you think circumcision is of value to you, then just go ahead and be castrated because then that'll really be good for you. Right? That's what he says, right, Fred? That's what he says. He says, if you think circumcision is good, then just go all the way and castrate yourself. And of course, those are harsh words saying to us that salvation is only through grace alone. You cannot add any works to that. And he's saying, we put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in circumcision as a means of our salvation is what he's saying or any other kind of work. These people were like Pharisees. These people desired to seek and receive the praise of men for their good work. That's really what they were after. Uh, Jesus describes them and he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, which were the Pharisees, for they love to stand up and pay, pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, you ha they have received their reward. In other words, they may stand up in the synagogue and there may be some people who admire them for their lofty prayers, but ultimately in the end, that is the only reward they are going to get. Their pride has separated them from any kind of salvation or going to heaven. So if anyone could obtain a relationship with Christ through confidence in the flesh, it would have been the Apostle Paul, right? If anybody could have done that. And that's why he goes kind of through this tirade about all of his qualification. He's not truly trying to boast in himself. He's just trying to tell them that if anyone could make it based upon the works, it would be Paul. Paul would have been at the top of God's list except he had a heart problem, right? <laughs> but on the outside, he was a whitewashed tomb like Jesus described. Everything was perfect. He seemed to have done just about everything right. Don't you hate that about Paul? <laughs> he is such a good example to us, but before he came to know Christ, he was a terrible example for people. He goes on and he lists everything that he did right, some of them he didn't have any say-so, like being circumcised on the eighth day. 
but he was obedient to the law. He was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law uh, that of the Old Testament. He had a great heritage or pedigree. He was of the people of Israel, so that's a mark in his favor. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, another mark in his favor. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews and he was a Pharisee. All marks in his favor. If we're going by the rules and checklist, then Paul had a pretty good one started, didn't he? He had a good heritage. His performance was also excellent. He was zealous in his religion. Tells us something about zeal, right? If you're, if you're zealous about the wrong thing, what it makes no difference, right? You have to be zealous about the right thing. Paul was zealous about his religion and about putting Christians in jail, but he was on the wrong track. He persecuted the church and he, it says that he was blameless concerning the law. Now, that doesn't mean that he never sinned. That means that when he sinned, he offered the proper sacrifice at the temple and he did everything that was required of him. And so if pleasing men and being popular were the point, Paul would have won hands down. So what is the point? The point is that we cannot be saved by our good works because we cannot do them perfectly, right? Yes. We, can't, we can never do them perfectly. And even when Paul did things perfectly, his heart was far from God. His heart was all about making a name for himself, for persecuting the Christians. He was zealous for the law. He was zealous even for God. But his heart was in the wrong place. He forgot to see not only was, are we to love the Lord our God, but we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. right? He forgot that one thing. And salvation is not by good works, but it's only by faith and trust in Christ. That's why it's such a stumbling block for so many people. It's because we have a tendency to want to do things to earn our salvation, and it's a stumbling block when you tell someone, no, it's all by grace through faith. And they say, well, that's too easy. And you, you say, well, maybe easy for you, but it wasn't so easy for Jesus. No. Salvation is free, but there is work for us to do as disciples of Christ, right? We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's just that the works come last. They don't come first. They don't give us entrance into heaven but they're a valid validation that we are truly disciples of Christ. Amen. So the main point here is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He says, whatever he had gained in the flesh, he considered it to be loss. Knowing Christ is worth losing everything else is basically what he's saying. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, <laughs> until they come and get it. <laughs> Knowing Christ is worth losing everything else is, is basically what he's saying. It is a surpassing worth to know Christ. It's the ultimate goal of our life, and that's to know and experience Christ. And the first thing it allows us to do is that removes the penalty of our sin and allows us entrance into heaven. 
But knowing Christ is so much more than that, right? Heaven is about a place. Christ is about a person. We will not have a personal relationship with heaven. We will have a personal relationship with Christ. And with that, Paul says it's worth losing all of the applause of men. We have no reason to try to gain the applause of men. I wish I had words sometimes, <laughs> but sometimes I just don't have the words to express how great and awesome Christ is and the price that he paid for us. There's no greater thing than knowing Jesus Christ the Lord. Nothing compares with it. And I tell you that by what the Word of God says and by my own experience. Someone, when you get to be my age, I guess, maybe you think back and think, well, would I have done things different? And the only thing I can think of that I would do different is that I would have accepted Christ sooner in my life. I was about 18 years old, put up resistance for a good resistance for four or five years. Because my idea was, and I told a girl this, I, I think I've told you this before, but when I was in high school, I had one girl that I was kind of interested in. Maybe she might go out with me if I talked to her. And so I went and talked to her and she said, well, do you go to church? And I said, well, no, I, I don't. And she said, well, do you believe in Christ? And I said, well, I don't. And she, in a very persuasive way, shared the gospel with me, much like I have shared with you guys many times before. And I remember telling her, and this is a girl I liked. <laughs> I said, I remember telling her, if, it, if, if being saved means surrendering your life to Christ, then I don't want anything to do with that because I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. And those are words of a fool. They truly are words of a fool. Someone once said that surrendering Christ is like giving up the gutter for a holiday at the sea. Is there something to give up? Yes, there's something to give up. Um, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. There is something to give up. But we're giving up a life that is like living in a gutter, like a drunk in the gutter. And we give it up for a holiday at the sea, which is being with Christ. And so we gain in this relationship Christ as the most precious gift. We say salvation is a gift, but really Christ is the gift. God is the gift that we receive. And we do that because he gives us the righteousness of Christ. Look at verse number nine. It says, I give up, verse eight says, for, I, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, his righteousness 
under the law was not sufficient, was it? His righteousness, while he was a Pharisee and zealous for God and persecuting the Christians and obeying the law and giving the proper sacrifices, that blamelessness or that righteousness was not sufficient. And ours is not either, right? Our righteousness is not either. And so how does God solve this problem? He, upon our faith and trust in Christ, gives us Christ's righteousness. <laughs> it's a term called imputed. He imputes his righteousness onto us, which means that we are right with God. A verse you've got to write down and, and look up later or memorize if you don't have it memorized is 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him to be sin. He knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin, right? But God made him to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the way salvation works. He gives us his righteousness so that when we stand before God, God only sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see our sin even though we continue to sin. And so we have this righteousness within us, and that's why Paul said earlier in this book to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to work and for his good pleasure. We have this righteousness within us, and we need to work that out. And so the point of this is that it is of surpassing value to know Christ. And if you're hanging on to things of the world, they are not going to last forever, right? They are not going to last. John Piper said we need to do what will make us happy 10,000 years from now, right? <laughs> Think about that. 10,000 years from now, that you know, we'll be somewhere and hopefully it's heaven, but make decisions that 10,000 years from now that will make you happy. And so if you're holding on to something in this world, it is not worth the knowing of Christ. Knowing Christ is forever. Knowing Christ is infinite. He's the most loving, most kind, most personable God. And we have an opportunity to know him. Amen. And so our response today, first of all, if we are responding and we're Christians here today, would be praise God, right? Praise God for this Amen. inexpressible gift that he has given to us, his very own son, to have a relationship. <clears throat> but if you're not a Christian here today, then your response should be to know God through Christ and to surrender your life. Just surrender it. <laughs> surrender your life to God and he will give you his righteousness. It's an act of faith, not of your works, lest any man should boast. It's an act of faith. So place your faith and trust in Christ today. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've had. We thank you for your word and its clarity. And I pray that the message today was clear that there's no greater object that we could or person that we could have in our life other than that of Christ. He is the ultimate gift and the ultimate expression of grace 
of a God giving sinners unmerited favor, and that comes through the person of Christ. So help us as Christians to be mindful of that and to praise you and today to rejoice in the Lord, just like Paul says over and over again in the book of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. But if we're, there's a person here who doesn't know Christ, pray that you would work in their heart. Maybe they have questions they would like to ask me. Pray that they would come forward and do that. But if they are ready and they feel the power of the Holy Spirit pulling them and drawing them into a relationship with you, I pray that they would make that decision today. And we as a church would rejoice with them. Father, pray that your spirit would have his way as we sing this closing song. Uh, you are a good, good father. And you take such good care of your children. We thank you for that. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.